pain. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wipe me out, wipe me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Okay. Gosh. 84 is one of the few verses that doesn't have a synonym for the Word of God. Uh, yeah. That's right. There's only a couple of them. There's like four or five. Yeah, I went through there one time, and I, I did a giant study on it. It's a great, great song, but you're right. There's only a couple of them. Okay, it's June 15th. Have you ever wondered how Bible scholars are able to assign dates to the events of the Old Testament? The major breakthrough came with the discovery of the tablets containing the Assyrian eponym lists. An eponym is a person from whom something gets its name. They listed all the years from 892 to 648 BC, naming each year after the prime minister or limu of Assyria, who was elected that year. <clears throat> In addition to these names, the tablets also recount the major events of each year. The eponym list contain an unbroken chain of events relating not only to Assyria, but to also to other nations that were interacting with Assyria. Because the tablets list the years of battles between Assyria and Israel, Bible scholars have been able to date the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah from these dates. In the year of a prime minister named Bur-Sagale, the Assyrians recorded that there had been an eclipse of the sun. Modern astronomers are able to calculate the dates of eclipses with great precision and have determined that the eclipse of the sun described in the tablets occurred on June 15, 763 BC. Ninety years before this eclipse, in the year 853 BC, the list report the Battle of Karkar, in which the Assyrian Emperor Shalmaneser III defeated a coalition of Syria and Israel under King Ahab. According to 1 Kings 22.1, the only period in which Israel was at peace with Syria was near the end of Ahab's reign. <clears throat> so it must have occurred during that time. While that information was interesting, it did not conclusively link the eponym list to the Old Testament until the discovery of the Black Obelisk. The Black Obelisk is a pillar erected by Shalmaneser III of Assyria in 841 BC to commemorate his victory over his enemies, including King Jehu of Israel. Jehu is pictured in the obelisk as kneeling in subjection to Shalmaneser in the 18th year of the Assyrians' Syrian emperor's reign. This can be then dated from the eponym lists since they gave the dates of Shalmaneser's reign. The date of the Black Obelisk is 841 BC, which apparently was the first year of Jehu's reign over Israel. According to 2 Kings 3, 1, 9, 1 through 8, and 24, there were 12 years between the end of Ahab's reign and the beginning of Jehu's. Thus, the date of 853 B.C. can be determined as the end of Ahab's reign over Israel. Nailing down these two dates made the process of constructing the chronology of the Old Testament relatively easily. The books of 1 and 2 Kings give the length of lengths of the reigns of the kings of Israel and Judah before and after Ahab and Jehu. 
By adding the years of these reigns, the ascension year of each king can be determined, as well as the dates of many associated events. <clears throat> Do you think God intends us to understand that the stories of the Bible are historical events? Why? Luke was one biblical author who explained the methodology he used in writing his gospel. He wanted to make sure that his readers were aware of the accuracy of his research and truth of his account. Luke 1, 1 through 4, many people have written accounts about the events that took place among us. They used as their source material the reports circulating among us from the early disciples and other eyewitnesses of what God has done in fulfillment of his promises. Having carefully investigated all of these accounts from the beginning, I've decided to write a careful summary for you to reassure you of the truth of all that you were taught. And if we take what it says in Luke, we can go there, and it says, let's see, we got to go, I think it might be, it's going to take a second to find this, but he does something so astonishing there that it's just worth reading. Um, <clears throat> it was in the past, angel said to him, Zacharias, uh, she saw him, the angel. Um, okay, Luke 2, 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out. So you got one, one point of dating. From Caesar Augustus, two points of dating, that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius, three points of dating, was governing, governing Syria. That's a fourth point of reigning because he could have reigned somewhere else at another time. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So there you have right there in one verse, or actually, yeah, uh, two verses, you've got four points of dating, so you can know exactly when it happened. I mean, Luke was very precise about how he did things. So wonderful stuff there. Okay, um, let's see here. Joel and Missy, I mentioned them, or actually uh, Don and Jody mentioned them. Uh, they have not really gotten up on funding. They're he is the missionary pilot. They live in Washington State. He was a missionary pilot in the Philippines. He grew up as a uh, missionary child. He became a missionary pilot, and now he uh, teaches pilots to be missionaries, and it's a very, very specialized field. Uh, they have special made planes that can almost land without any runway and take off without almost any runway at all. Um, they're very dangerous assignments. Uh, but he, it, somebody has to train these people, and he's probably the best missionary pilot trainer on the planet. Uh, they have not been able to make, meet their funding. So if anybody wants to uh, add them onto their monthly list and say, hey, you know, uh, I'd like to give 30 bucks a month or something, uh, I can give you their email. And uh, uh, it's just uh, they, they have lost people, and they have not gained new people back. And because he works... He's not like a missionary that comes and they spend six months in America and they can go out and, and uh, you ask. know, yeah, ask. So I just want to mention that if you have uh, the ability once a month to help them out, that would be great. Or if you can give them a one-time gift of a million dollars, that would be great too. Whatever. Um, uh, they're just such nice people. A lot of you know them. They, they've come here several times and they started years ago with their little children and now their children are graduating and going off into the world. Um, <coughs> Zai's niece. Zai's the Filipino girl with Chuck that came and they sang here a couple times. Right. Uh, her niece lost her husband. Uh, he was murdered while closing up his shop for the day. He was a retired police officer. He uh, was closing his shop in the Philippines. Somebody came in and robbed him and uh, he did what he probably should not have do, done, which is to uh, tell the guy what a bad guy he was and the guy came back and murdered him. So uh, we want to keep uh, this poor lady in prayer. Uh, just terrible. Um, Pete, uh, Pat Settle, 
uh, he's having eye surgery on the 20th. So please keep Pete in prayer. He, he hasn't been engaging on the uh, live stream because he really can't see that well. And uh, so uh, we're hoping that this will take care of his eye problems and he'll be able to, you know, fellowship with people on the, uh, the live stream a little more. Um, I got an email without a name. A dad in the hospital has some form of meningitis, uh, medically induced coma, and then he had some sort of a combative reaction when they tried to bring him out of the coma. So things aren't going well there. And so uh, just the Lord knows his name. Uh, please keep him in prayer. And then Burke's son, John, is he has lost a lot of weight. He's not doing well. And uh, uh, so we want to keep John in prayer. Uh, very difficult on Burke here. And uh, it's going to be difficult on the whole family until uh, he gets better and is doing jumping jacks again. But uh, uh, there you go with that. And then um, one more thing before we go to the Lord in prayer is... Um, Dear brother Charlie and brother Daniel, Daniel's the guy in the UK that does all the transfers of the money because I can't send directly to the to Pakistan. Uh, we are very glad to share with you that we are praying and planning to do another Jesus Film meeting that we, we scheduled to do on 28 June. And I was thinking about doing this myself because that's our 39th anniversary. Uh, but we've had so many bills in the past 10 days that I, there's, I just don't think we can do it. So um, uh, it's 28 June. We need prayers for its success and safety for it. Um, they've got the generator and the TV. They no longer have those expenses. So that's good. But please, play, please pray that God will show his glory and many will come to know the true God and get saved through Jesus' death on the cross. Uh, this would cost us $419 in total. They have uh, travel, uh, $100. Rice, and I, he's going out into the country now rather than just in the local area. So he's got travel, and then he's got rice, a birani, uh, to feed the people, $135. Um, eight MP3 players, $104, and 10 Bibles at $80. So they're eight bucks a Bible there. Um, we're very thankful and glad to have the video equipment that we can use for this Jesus Film meeting, which is great help. Okay, so um, somebody uh, had sent some money, and there was 90, I think, $98 left over. So you're talking $419 minus 98. So if anybody wants to throw in a couple dollars, um, you know, let me know, and we will get that to them uh, so that they can have that Jesus meeting, Jesus film meeting on 28 June. And we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, uh, share in your word. And uh, thank you for that guy in Pakistan who's just, he's just getting out there and telling people about Jesus. And uh, despite all of the needs and all of the difficulties and trials, uh, they're, they're plugging along with this. And we pray that it will be a success for them. And uh, we certainly lift up the people on the prayer request, Lord. Uh, Joel and Missy with their, their financial needs and uh, the other uh, people that are sick, that are having surgeries, that are uh, just have lost family and Lord, we just lift all of them up to you. We pray for them. We ask that you are, we know that you are the God of comfort, and we ask that you uh, would give them comfort and your hand would rest upon them. And uh, thank you for the chance to have this class. Thank you for the wonderful promise that the uh, verses we're in right now give us and uh, the, the surety that we have of one, eternal life, and two, that we have an escape out of this world at some point when it's going to be so, so bad for the world and you'll take your people home. And we don't know when that's gonna be, but uh, things are pretty bad right now in our eyes, but certainly can get worse. So we leave it in your hands, and on the day you call us home, uh, I'm sure each one of us is gonna jump 
to uh, get a head start on that. So we love you. We thank you for that hope, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You heard about Bob. Bob, yeah, he's um, Mike sees him, and uh, they have a Bible study they do, and uh, uh, he's he's doing okay. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, he's, and he's in a nice facility. It's not like. Uh, you know, it's not like he's stuck in his house and he's got to have somebody tend to him. He's, he's, so, uh, but I'll ask Mike again to see how things are doing. A second person asked me that in two days. So, um, let's see here. Uh, okay, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, let's see, Sergio and Rhoda left, and uh, I thought we'd be done right with here. these by the time you oh. got back. But no, we're, we're right in the middle of the rapture here. So. That's my favorite verse now. I know it is. So it just that's why I was saying when you left, I said, well, you're going to miss your favorite book of the Bible. And uh, then it didn't happen. It just, we kind of hit the brakes and we, we skipped about 10 Bible studies. So, uh, just, okay. Do we're in a preamble? About uh, no, we're in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. That's it. Uh, unless you have, uh, you no, want I'm going to start from oh. the top. Right? Okay. Okay. Brothers, this is a uh, 13. Ah. Brothers. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 15. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the end, no, excuse me, till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. 16. For the Lord himself will come down mm -hmm. from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will first rise. Okay, so um, this verse and the next two verses, actually the next verse, the last one is just kind of uh, ending the chapter and a kind of word of comfort, but this verse and the next verse, I do not know how people can read what they say and say they don't say what they say. Right. Okay, I, I don't understand. I, I cannot imagine anybody saying, I believe the Bible literally, and then denying what these say. Right. I, I, I can't. I, okay, and it's the same thing with some of the verses in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, you have an obvious resurrection of the dead at the end of days. Okay, that's a given. Okay, um, Daniel speaks of it in Daniel 12. We'll go there really quickly. Daniel 12, and, he's, and Isaiah speaks of, you know, the resurrection and, and some terms that people could, you know, maybe look at differently. I don't know. But Daniel, he says, um, okay, at that time, this is like a time when there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, okay? This is, this is like the end times and there's war and uh, things are really bad. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. Who are Daniel's people? Jews. Okay, so we don't need to worry about that. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people, meaning the Jews, shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars 
forever and ever. Okay, so uh, you've got that, um, and, and there's obviously a resurrection. Now, at the time, they didn't know the sequence of it. They just, they had this, and they know that a time of trouble's coming, and there's going to be a resurrection. Um, uh, we read a bit about the return of Jesus in uh, Zechariah, but if you go to John chapter 11, okay, this was no secret. Now, I've heard people in sermons say, well, you know, they didn't really understand the resurrection of the dead. They, they just, you know, they, and to this day, Jews, their idea of everlasting life is to be remembered. And so they do things. They give to charity and stuff so that they'll be remembered. And that's, that's the biblical idea that they came up with as far as, uh, uh, you know, what happens to them afterward. It's, they didn't really believe in a, you know, and that is so much garbage. Okay, it says in uh, John 11, um, you know, a two-year-old can read this and know that that thinking is wrong. It says, um, uh, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, here it is, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She knew. Now, this is a girl that's living... You know, she's not a, a guy in a synagogue. She's not a, a teacher of the people. He's, she's not a Pharisee. She's not anything. She's just a girl that's living there with her her sister and her brother. And she knew. That means if she knew, everybody knew this. Right. There's no doubt about it. It's not like this girl had some secret that nobody else had. If this girl knew that there was going to be a resurrection at the last day and there is eternal life, then everybody knew this. Okay, so when you hear that kind of nonsense, okay, and so Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. So there's always been this thought about a resurrection, okay? Uh, it, the fact that there are different resurrections was not really known, or I don't think you could pull that out of the Old Testament scriptures. I, I just don't know how somebody could do that until after the fact. What do you and, mean? Well, I'm saying different. that it, she wouldn't know that there is going to be a rapture, and there's going to be a general resurrection of the righteous, and there's going to be a resurrection for condemnation at the right, end of right. the day. You, you wouldn't know that. No. Daniel says there's going to be a resurrection, and then he explains some will go to everlasting life, and blah, 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 and some will go to everlasting shame and contempt. But uh, the fact that there are different resurrections, uh, I don't think that you would be able to find that. Okay. Revelation shows you that there is a different resurrection here and here, whatever. Okay, you know that. But what Paul speaks about is not what John is speaking about. Paul is speaking about people that are asleep, that will be brought back to life. And as I said, it's verses 14 and 16. Uh, I'm sorry, 4, 16, and 17. Okay, and um, so we'll go through it. And, you know, you just have to think now. Does this match what we have heard before? Is this anything that, you know, you've read in the Old Testament? Okay, in this verse, Paul explains the dead in Christ rising first by beginning with four. Now, um, I said in a Bible study some time ago um, that I wasn't really dogmatic about whether, you know, Old Testament saints would be raised or they wouldn't be raised. I, I you know, I, I don't want to go beyond what I can know from scripture. 
okay? And you could say, well, you know, maybe David would be raised at the rapture because he believed in the coming Messiah and he would be raised because of that. Or, um, uh, you know, you could say, no, he's not really in Christ because Christ hadn't come and finished his work. And so I wasn't really sure about that. And if somebody was dogmatic about this, I would have said, you know, that's not a wise position. However, I no longer feel that way because of what is pictured in an upcoming sermon. An upcoming sermon pretty much sealed it for me, and it's not something that I was looking for. It's just something I'm like, well, you know, that kind of gives it. So Joshua gives a lot of typology, really, really interesting typology to confirm some basic doctrines, some very special doctrines we saw in the uh, borders of Zebulun. The rapture is actually seen there. And these weren't things that I was looking for. These are just things that, you know, I, I, when I do these sermons, I evaluate the verses and I try to annoy Sergio when he's working and he does that to me while I'm working. That's the only real contact I have during Monday typing. But sometimes I will email him and I'll say, I really don't, you know, get this. And he'll give me an answer or I'll say, this is really interesting. Nobody even commented on it. What do you think about that? When I've already got my idea of what it's picturing. And sometimes, you know, we just talk about things like that. But other than, um, you know, that, I don't, I don't look for something when I'm evaluating the verses. I'm simply evaluating them for what they say from a content and a structure way, okay? In other words, this verse says these, these words in this way. What is being presented and, you know, it, a lot of uh, uh, translations or sometimes no translations will translate it the way the Hebrew says. And that happened one week ago, maybe two weeks ago. I evaluated a verse and nobody translated it the way that it, the Hebrew reads it. Not one translation out of, I think it was 46 translations I looked at. Not one, okay? Uh, there's an article before the word God. And so when it says the God, it does it for a reason. And nobody translated that. And they usually don't. They just skip over that. And, um, but that's telling us something. And so I will do that. I'll do the mechanical work of the verses. And then, after I've done that, now I have to see, is, is there a picture? Which obviously, there's always a picture that God is giving us in there. There's something that God is trying to tell us. And that's when I sit down and I read what I've evaluated. And I think, on how does this point to Jesus, the New Testament, the saints in Christ, etc.? That's how I do those sermons. That's the only way that I know makes sense. And so I don't go in with any presuppositions. In fact, one time, uh, it, last week, we had a, uh, a verse, remember the one where there was uh, uh, one of the names of one of the towns, uh, they really don't know uh, the root of it. And so I gave, I said, there's an Arabic word that may be the root of it, TQ, okay? Or it could be this. Uh, could be from the word kol, which is vomit, and therefore it would mean mean God vomits or God vomits her. And when I was evaluating those verses, the structure of them, I was thinking of Jesus. I will vomit you out of my mouth, okay? And so I thought there may be something that is being typologically pictured there. And when I got to the evaluation, it did not fit that. And so I'm not going to shove that into the evaluation. I want to know what the verses are telling me, not what I think should be in there. And so as excited as I was about this maybe being a picture of Jesus saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth, there was no cohesion with any other verse in that. So I 
had to say, Lord, what are you telling us? And it formed its own picture. Okay, so when I did that with the, the particular one about whether the Old Testament saints are going to be raised or not, I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't looking for anything along those lines, but it is telling us something. So you'll see that in the upcoming sermon and you can make your own evaluation of whether you think that's right or not. But that's the way that we should do things. And um, one of the things, I may have said this before. I may not have said this before. Um, I know I said it to people in emails, but I don't know if I said it in the classes. I have found that the single most helpful thing that I do and the very first thing I do before I evaluate any verse is I take the King James Version just because that's the only version that, uh, you know, I pick one version, I'm going to evaluate the Hebrew and the Greek based on this, and then I'll look at other versions and see how they did it. But I wanna see, is what they did in the King James Version right or wrong in regard to the manuscript? And that has been the most helpful thing that I've ever done as far as uh, understanding what the Hebrew is saying. because. I'm not just looking for what's right in the Hebrew, I'm looking for what's wrong from an English translation. And then I can, uh, I can develop what the Hebrew is saying much better. So I'm glad I do that. And it's funny how, you know, we've got the King James Version, which some people claim is the only inspired version, and I'm up to like 18,000 errors in that version. I mean, it's some huge number. Almost every single verse that I look at from the King James Version in the Greek, uh, during the morning Bible commentaries or in the Hebrew on Monday morning sermon typing, almost every verse has got something that I would call an actual error. Is that not right, Sergio? Almost every one of them. So it is, it is a sloppy translation. People say it's the best in the world. It, it's not even close. I would call it a marginal translation. But uh, people don't want to hear that, and so they get angry and they tell you you're going to go to hell and all that kind of stuff. Well, and that's okay. Authorized but errors. They're, they're authorized errors. Yes, those are those are King James authorized errors. Okay, um, but it, it it has been a great help. So if you want to do your own studies, I would recommend you pick a version of the Bible and say, I have this version. I'm going to compare it against the Greek. And the Greek, all of the morphology, everything you need is right there on BibleHub.com. This is this word. Here's an example. This morning, I was doing, I don't want to get too far away from what we're doing here, but I want you to understand why I do these things. Uh, this morning I did, I think it was Acts 18.7. I'll know in one second if it was Acts 18.7. And um, uh, let's see here, was it Acts 18.7? Uh, departed from, oh no, it was 18.8. Oh, there's a great pun in Acts 18.7 and 8. A great pun. It was so exciting. Anyway, um, I'll read him to you, and then you can go look for the pun. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Verse 8, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, her hearing, believed, and were baptized. Okay, there's lots of errors in the, uh, the verbs there. Okay, instead of like um, he believed it might have been having believed. Okay, it's a participle instead of uh, aorist verb, whatever. Um, but um, the, the, uh, those two verses that I just read you have a great pun. If you, don't, if you can't figure out what they are, wait. And when you read it, you're gonna say, that is so cool. It's so can do it justice. Uh, it, it, it'll do us justice, that's right. Uh, very good. Okay, so um, what I was gonna say about this, it says, and many of, the, oh, where is it? Um, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. Doesn't say that. Only two, maybe three translations this morning 
actually translated it the way it says. Almost always it says he believed upon the Lord, he believed in the Lord, he believed on the Lord, something like that, okay? This one does not say it. it the only thing it says is, then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, be believed the Lord. There's no preposition before it. That's very rare. I haven't seen that, I think, anywhere else. But it says he believed the Lord with all his household, okay? Why would that be? Anyway, I just, it, it, that kind of stuff is so fascinating to me. And when the King James Version puts in or on or whatever they put in there, that is an error. I give them a demerit. And I, at the end of every verse, I write one demerit. Or, uh, one last week had like 10 demerits in it. I'm like, terrible. How can people read that and know what's going on if it's wrong? Okay, but um, they got a demerit on that one for sure this morning because there's no preposition before the word. It just says, believe the Lord. Uh, Smith's translation got it right, I believe. Maybe the Berean literal Bible, a couple of them. And all the other 40-some added in something. Okay, but there's, I believe, a good reason why that preposition isn't there. And I gave what I think is the reason. Okay, having said all that, okay, uh, the, the point I was making is that I do believe one view, and I'm not giving give it away until the sermon uh, comes, but I do believe one view. Will the Old Testament saints be raptured or will they not be? Based on Joshua, I have come to a conclusion in my own mind, and I believe this 100% correct because the typology is there in Joshua. And we have seen so much typology. It's what a book this has been. How many weeks uh, out are we? I don't know, because I do, I do nine weeks in advance, and I do the 10th the one. So it might be eight weeks or seven weeks. or I, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember, because I, what I do is I type it, and then I don't look at it for a while. And then I just do the graphics you know, the, for the, the edited video. I just do that at a certain time, about seven weeks out. But I don't really look at the, the content. I, I, I look at the content, but that's not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on getting the graphics out so that it looks good for people that watch the edited version. And then uh, a week before I uh, take, actually two weeks before, no, a week before now, Jody, she corrects all of my my typing Your and my- Authorized my, errors. Yeah, my authorized <laughs> errors. Sure, but when yes. Jesus says that, uh, like, God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Right. Referring to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So would that give any hint? No, that wouldn't. That is, that is God's perception of us, regardless of when in time. That's showing that God is eternal. God is eternal. He sees all people as they are alive. Okay. He's seeing Abraham right now. There's nothing. He is the God of the oh, living. Yeah. He, he is uh, all of the ages. All of everything is exposed before him. And so he's the God of the living. All right. He is the one that beholds all human life, and he knows everything about them at every point of their life. And even after they're dead, they're still alive to him. Okay. So, um, uh, but that, that's a different one. That doesn't have anything to do with the uh, picture. But I, I, I can't answer you that because Jody corrects those things, and then I uh, practice it. Like I'll I'll practice next week's sermon tomorrow. Okay. So now I've got an extra sermon in my head, which I shouldn't do, but. It, I could get confused with this week's sermon, but I still do it because I want to make sure that it's it's fitting properly with what is going to be presented Sunday, okay? Or what is being presented Sunday will fit properly with this. Even if the pictures are different, I just want it to kind of flow together. So I, I, it's kind of a funny way I do it, but it won't be too long. It'll be within nine weeks and probably six or seven is my guess. Okay, so with all of that behind us, now we can talk about the obvious nature of the rapture. In this verse, and I'm 30 minutes gone, 
Uh, in this verse, Paul explains the dead in Christ rising first, beginning with four. After this word, he will give details about what will occur, which are parenthetical in nature. Then the final sentence picks up the main thought once again. To see this laid out, for, parenthetical thought, the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, for the dead in first will rise first. The words between these two thoughts simply give details of the sequence of events which will lead up to this. Okay, for the dead in Christ will rise first, and here's the sequence of events. That sequence of events begins with, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. The word translated as will descend is only used this one time concerning the second coming of Christ. It was used by John concerning Christ's first advent when he came as a man. It is also used when the Spirit descended on Christ at his baptism in Matthew chapter 3. Here the word shout is one found only here in Scripture. It signifies the shout of a command. Further, the word translated as with is the Greek word signifying in. The clause reads, because himself the Lord in a loud command in the voice of an archangel. The context does not make it known if this is actually the voice of the Lord or the voice of the archangel. John 5, 25 through 29 speaks of the dead rising at the voice of the Son of Man. But with the mentioning of the archangel, it may be that he is the chosen herald announcing the coming of Christ. This would add dignity to the event, which is often seen among earthly kings and nobles. You've got a herald that comes before him, and he says, this is the king, and he says, arise, or whatever, okay? So, who knows? It is possible, as some interpret this, that there is both a shout of the Lord, which is accompanied by the voice of the archangel. Thus, these are two separate parts to the events being described. Concerning the words, the voice of the archangel, Paul's words who is being described can only be speculated on. The term archangel is only used here and in, anybody know what book archangel is used one other time, here and in, what? Jude, Jude very good. Can you tell the verse for $100? Jude 37. No. <laughs> Jude 1, 9. Uh, the term archangel is used here only and in Jude 1, 9, where Michael is named. Michael is then defined in Daniel as one of the chief princes. And your prince, when speaking to Daniel, an Israelite. So Michael is the one that looks over Israel. And that's what we just read in Daniel 12. I just said, Michael, who stands over your people. Okay, so uh, Michael is used there. He's called in Jude, um, uh, one of the chief princes. Daniel, one of the chief princes and your prince. Um, but he's named Michael in Jude. Okay, so uh, let's see here. As he is one of princes, which is plural, it could be him or another unnamed archangel. Jewish writings, which I don't like to rely on in any way, shape, or form, if you read a commentary on the four archangels of the Jews, I would ignore it because it's, you know, it, it's not responsible. It's not in the Bible. If God wanted us to know these things, he would have told us in Scripture. Yes? It's only two uh, in Scripture. Well, I understand that. Well, and Michael is called the archangel, but you got Gabriel as well. But what I'm saying is the Jews say there are four. They name them, okay? The Book of Jubilees may give a fifth. Um, is it Jubilees? Yeah, anyway, uh, or Enoch. Anyway, one of these two. But those are pseudepigraphal writings, which mean false writings, 
They were never considered canon ever by the Jewish people. They were kept separately away from the biblical scrolls. They were on different uh, writing uh, medium, like you have the, the parchment for the Bible and they had uh, different things that they wrote on for the pseudepigrapha. Okay, <clears throat> they're just Jewish writings, but they are not scripture and they were never considered scripture. So when people start arguing about the Jubilees of, it's not worth getting into. It's just goofy, stay away from that kind of stuff. The Bible has what God wants us. If you want to read these things, I have no problem with that. If you want to read any, any of the ancient Jewish writings, and I've read pretty much all of them, okay, you can go to wesley.nnu.edu, and that is the uh, uh, Wesleyan um, uh, website, okay, and they've got just all of the books that you can imagine. They've got the writings of Josephus. They've got the wars of Josephus. They've got uh, the... Um, uh, the letter from Aristius, they've got the Book of Jubilees, they've got Little Genesis, that is Book of Jubilees. They got all of these things. They got hundreds and hundreds of writings, okay? And uh, they have them under non-canonical literature. Click on that link, non-canonical literature, and read whatever you want, okay? To me, it's a waste of time. I've read them. Uh, some of them were interesting, but it's not the Bible, and you're not going to uh, find something in there that you are going to say, uh, I really benefited in my theology from that. I just don't believe you will. Um, but once again, it's like reading Edgar Allan Poe. It's fun. It's, you know, uh, you get interesting stuff, and these Jews are writing about stuff that, you know, angels coming down and blah, blah, blah. And so you can get excited about that, but um, that's not my thing, and uh, I'd rather just stick with Scripture. But if you want to read those, I have. I don't say you shouldn't. It just, whatever. Okay. Um, so uh, as uh, he is one of a number of princes, it could be him or another unnamed uh, archangel, Jewish writings do identify others. Gabriel, that Burke noted, is noted in both Daniel and Luke as an angel. And he is said to stand in the presence of God. Okay, he's not really called an archangel, but he's called an angel. He stands in the presence of God. And because he is the herald of the messages given to Daniel and Zechariah, he is a likely choice to again herald the sound of this memorable event in redemptive history. So we may hear the voice of the archangel, you know, Gabriel, he may come out. And that is where, if you've ever heard the term, the gift of gab, has anybody heard that before? The gift of gab, everybody's shaking their head, but over here, no, that's because you need to learn this one. That's something that we say. Square. That means you can, you can uh, he really knows how to, to talk a lot. The gift of gab means he speaks and speaks uh, and he, so might when, not stop. yeah, he might not stop, the gift of gab, okay? It's just a way of, it's not belittling a person, but it's saying, you wouldn't say it to that person unless you were like, you might say like, you just won't shut up today. And I'm like, boy, you've really got the gift of gab today. I, I could say that, but um, okay. So the gift of gab comes from Gabriel because he's the one that is the speaker in the Bible. He's bringing forth the word of God. So people say the gift of gab, anyway. Um, uh, given to Daniel and Zechariah, he's a likely choice. Okay, this is certainly possible because the Greek has no article before archangel. It doesn't say the archangel. Instead, it simply says archangel, which would mean an archangel, okay? This is important because in Jude, Michael is identified with an article, the archangel. This then means that he is not the only archangel, and so it is highly inappropriate to definitively single Michael out for this event, especially when it relates to the church, not specifically to Israel. But we just heard in Daniel 12 that he is the one that watches over Israel. And so to say that it's Michael the archangel 
you know, people will make these leaps. They'll make these, these uh, you know, dogmatic suggestions that this is who is coming down. And we have no idea. And I wouldn't even think it's Michael simply because he is not, he's over there watching over Israel. Why would he be the one to dissent? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know, but I'm not going to get dogmatic about it, okay? So, um, as Paul next says, and with the trumpet of God. Again, the Greek possession is in the trumpet of God. It is as if his descent occurs during the shout and during the blast, signifying that he, Jesus, is the center of attention, not the voice or the blast itself, okay? And that was the point of the giving of the Ten Commandments. You heard this long blast, and it wasn't that the blast was the center of attention. It's the fact that the Lord is preparing to speak out the Ten Commandments. He's going to talk to the people. The blast was simply to get the people riveted so that they understood the, the magnificence and the, I guess, awesome nature of what was about to be presented to them. Okay, uh, They sound forth, the voice of the archangel, the uh, blast, the trumpet, they sound forth only to call attention to Jesus. It is reminiscent of the amazing events Oh yeah, here it is, of the descending of the Lord upon Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. We'll go there. We'll just read it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's see here. Exodus, here it is. And I think I said it was verse 16, just so I don't have to go looking for it. Yeah, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Imagine that, just being out in the middle of nowhere. You've got all the heat of, you know, the, the desert, and you've got, and all of a sudden it just starts getting louder and louder, and it's just the people are trembling. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Then they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long, it became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So very exciting, okay? Well, it's going to be even more exciting when Jesus comes for us. Way more exciting, okay? So, um the sound of a trumpet from God is referenced elsewhere in scripture many times as well. Finally, Paul says, like I give you an example, Isaiah says that the, the trumpet is going to sound and the elect are going to be gathered and then Jesus builds on that in, uh, I want to say Matthew 24, I could be wrong. Anyway, um, uh, so you, you'll see the trumpet noted in different times, sometimes in the Psalms. Uh, the Lord uh, descends in the trumpet at the sound of the, the feast or something, whatever. Um, I, I know I'm getting that wrong, but I wasn't planning on that. So uh, let's see here. Um, uh, Paul next says, oh, I said that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Finally, Paul says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay. So, so far it could be an Old Testament res resurrection. All we have is that there's, you know, a little more information, but the dead in Christ are rising. We haven't gotten to anything that really is different from the Old Testament, okay? But uh, it said that, my, read again, just so you know what, I, I read it to you once, I'll read it to you again, just so you can make the comparison. 
for the next verse, okay? I wanted to go this way. I want to go to Daniel, which is the other way, Charlie. Um, Ezekiel, Daniel, come on. Small little book, hard to find. There we go. Okay, and then chapter 12. I'll just read you these verses one more time so you have it. <clears throat> At that time, Michael, okay, he's the archangel identified by thee in the book of Jude, shall stand up, the great prince who stands over the watch over the sons of your people. He's watching over Israel, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found in, written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So it could be the same event at this point, all right? It could be. Um, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Okay, and then it goes on, and I'll read it. Um, uh, Daniel 12. Uh, verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so that's, that's Daniel. What's that? It can't be, because if some are destined to go to internal damnation, yeah, but th that's, there's been a judgment. No, no, because you have Joel will speak in one verse about something that's happening at the beginning of Christ's advent and another one at the end of it. And that, that's the mountain scene uh, uh, analogy. There are verses that will speak in one verse, and we wouldn't know this until the New Testament is written, that he's speaking here, and then he looks, and there's a mountain way in the back, and his eyes focus on that. Right. First he speaks. So that is a he completely different thing. church in between. Right? Yeah, so, all of this stuff is going on in the church that you miss because that was a mystery. And Paul specifically says that uh, the church was an unknown thing, that Gentiles would be brought in. That was a mystery. So nobody knew that. So when these Old Testament prophets are looking at a, uh, a set of prophecies, they're looking maybe over a span of two, two or more thousand years. And so we can't use that argument with Daniel. At this time, but he's just saying one. there's, what's that? What, that's one. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, that's hold on, we're not in the next verse yet, okay? That's why I'm giving you that. So far, it matches mm -hmm. what we've seen. The next verse will be where it diverts, mm -hmm. okay? So that's what I'm saying. We, I want to read you that so that you can compare that with what we just heard and what we're going to hear. Gotcha. Okay, um, uh, uh, Paul says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is the explanation of the previous verse. Those who are dead in Christ will hear the events, okay? So if you have someone that was a Christian, They've already died. They will hear these events. They will hear this trumpet. They will hear the voice of the archangel, and they will hear the call of God. Okay, that is the point of why Paul is writing these things, because the people in Thessalonica were worried, what happened to the people that died already? Are they going to get everlasting life, or is it only the people that are alive when it happens? Well, good for them. It's everybody because they're all dead they've all been dead for 2,000 years as well right. so they would have been out if the you know they, they're probably thinking when Paul was telling them these things that it was going to happen during their life and if you go back in church writings at the, the turn of the first millennium they really thought this is it Jesus is coming this is it and another thousand years or we'll say another 1700 years and people start making prophecy predictions every day for the past 327 years i mean it, it's it's baffling how bad people can be about predicting the rapture right. uh, nine, uh 1988 88 ways to know that the rapture is going to happen in 1988 okay and then it's going to happen on this day it's going to happen on that day and it, it, there's no point in that 
Okay, there's absolutely no point in that. He is going to come when he comes. And the people in the turn of the first millennium were wrong. The Millerites were wrong. The Jehovah's Witnesses have been wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. To this day, wrong. Okay, best thing to do is just know that this is going to happen. And the people that die before it happens will hear this. Okay, so um, they will hear the events. They will respond to the call and they will come forth to life to everlasting life. This is the promise of God. So if you have somebody in your life that you have lost that was a believer in Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, that person is going to be raised. It's not an if, an and, or a but. It is going to happen. Life application. If you want life, you need Christ. Call on Christ and be one of those who will be taken up to be with him forever. His word is true. The message has been written, and we have the surety of God's word that these things will. Not that they may, I hope they come about, they will come about. Listen, we have gone through so many things in the book of Joshua that have happened, that were, I don't know, I don't know anybody else that has gotten these pictures. I don't read a lot of commentaries, I just read that the mechanical commentaries of the British scholars of the 17, 18, and 1900s, okay? I don't read all of the other people. So if people have come up with the patterns that I've come up with, it was by accident because I didn't copy any of those people. If they haven't, I am as certain about what has been seen in those pictures as I am that, you know, this is clear text right here. Those things happen. Israel will become a nation again, or a, a, they will, they are a nation, but they will uh, call on Jesus someday. And that was seen right in Joshua 3 and 4. These things are going to happen. Well, I have the same confidence about this. This is going to happen. So we don't need to worry, maybe this is gonna happen, or you know, I'm, I'm uh, getting ready to die. I found out that I've got you know terminal heart disease and I'm gonna die in 18 days, okay? And all of a sudden I'm gonna start worrying about if it's true. That's not going to happen. If they say you've got 18 days to live, I'm gonna say, fine. That's just the way it is, that's a-okay. It's going to be okay because Jesus' promise is true. Okay, so we're in 417 now. This is where it'll start diverting right, right. From, from Daniel. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Hmm. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, this says that we are going to be caught up in the clouds with the Lord in the air. Everybody got that? Does, is there anything about that in Daniel? Is there anything about that in Isaiah? Is there anything about that in what? Uh, Mary? Was it Martha? Anyway, Martha, I think. Oh, wait, one of them. Uh, the one that I read from John Levin. There's nothing about that. There is a difference in this than there is in the other resurrection verses, including Revelation. We can go to Revelation, and we can see what it says about one of them right here. It says... Um, presence cast alive the rest of them were killed okay it says um see okay um uh, bottomless pit okay where is the one that i'm looking for you, you know you think that i would know this right off the top of my head but oh here it is right here um revelation 19 20 then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet um who worked in a sign that's not what i want uh, these two were cast alive, the rest were killed okay that's not what i'm looking for give me a second i'm gonna find it um sealed on a thousand years Okay, it's all thrones. Okay, oh, here it is, um, 20, um, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. 
Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast. So it's obviously people during the tribulation period because it mentions the beast, right? Or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. This is speaking about people that died during the tribulation period. That, that's quite clear. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Does it say anything about them being caught up with the Lord in the air? So it can't be the same event. It's not even near to similar, okay? So that's one of them right there. And then you have another one at the very end of the uh, uh, thousand years. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth fled uh, and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and here it is. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there's another resurrection that has nothing to do with what is being written about right now. Everybody said there's at least three resurrections, okay? You got those three. It, this has nothing to do with those. And yet, you read scholars, you know, when I read like Albert Barnes or somebody, and they'll talk about this, the final judgment. And not, we're all going to be raised at this great white throne at the end of the age. It has nothing to do with it. Right. You cannot equate what is said there with what is being said by Paul. You, no. you can't, okay? So, and you take that and mix it in with what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And blah. There's nothing about any of that other stuff. And then it says that these people are going to go to a judgment and then they're going to get chucked into the lake of fire. We get perfected and then we go to our judgment. The Bema Seat of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. There's no comparison at all. None. Okay. This, this is why people will say it can't be pre-trip. Pre, uh, pre well, they're wrong. I know they are, but like it's like if you're ignoring the fact that there's one resurrection. Well, yeah, that's right. And they can't be. That's why I'm it. saying they, they can't be. So it's just not sound thinking. Okay. 629 is gone. This is the work it said there. Yeah, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one yes. whom he sent. Yes. Absolutely. It's work is believing. The work is believing, and that is it. That is it. That is our work. Everything that we do has to be based on faith. And if it's not, then we won't get a reward for it. Okay. Charlie, this could it be like an information added, so it is the same event. No. Or just no. adding something. No. I explained that twice now. No. The they are not the same event. This one you're taken up into the air to meet the Lord in the air. It is a instant change. One Corinthians 15. You're be like him, and then you go to the bema seat of Christ. Those ones, they're raised, and then they have their judgment, or they're raised, and they enter into the millennial reign of Christ. They can't be the same. What if it's like you're raised, and then you're changed, and then you're going to millennial reign of Christ? It just doesn't say that. It, you're right, it doesn't say that. <laughs> if you want to believe that, that's fine. But I, I cannot read those verses and come to that conclusion. We are going to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with the Lord forever. Uh, that's what it says. But okay. yet, you're saying that the Old Testament saints... No, I'm not saying anything. You wait for the sermon. Don't try to get me in that trap. I told you, you wait for the sermon. Okay, verse 417. The substance of what these words mean is highly debated. Okay, we just 
read them. He's debating it. Mm -hmm. I've come to my conclusion. I, I cannot see them being the same at all. Okay. The word then signifies afterwards. In essence, what precedes is an essential precursor to what occurs. Okay. Some argue then that there could be a large amount of time between the two events. In other words, the dead will be changed and then at some future point, those alive will be changed. Okay, you could make that conclusion. This analysis is incorrect for two reasons. First, it would mean that remaining alive until the coming of the Lord has a different value assigned to it than dying in the Lord. Everybody got that? Something the Bible never implies. Secondly, it would then contradict 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, okay, which says, all right, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, 51 and 52, uh, where are we? Okay, behold, I tell you a mystery. And there are people that will say, well, that's not, this isn't speaking about the rapture. Okay, if you want to, if you want to go down that path, that's fine. I've had people say that. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed in a moment. Now, first, who is he speaking to? Who is Paul writing to? Who is Paul writing to? He always writes to believers. Believers, Corinthians, the church. Okay. He's writing to the church. He's right. yes, he's writing to those at Corinth, but the Corinth Corinthians are a part of the church, the church who are, are believers. Okay. I'm talking about he's writing to a body. When John is writing in Revelation, he is writing to people that are not of the church. They're of the tribulation period. Unless you don't believe in dispensations, okay? If you disregard dispensations, then they could all be the same. Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to a body of believers who are in Christ. In Christ. Not after Christ, tribulation period. They are in Christ right now, okay? So, this event and 1 Thessalonians 4 are the same event. If you disagree, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with it, but that's fine. This is the same event. He is writing to the same group of people, the church. The Thessalonians are from Macedonia. The Corinthians are from uh, Corinth. Uh, the Corinth, but that's a part of Greece, okay? So whatever. They are the church. Okay. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound he's writing about one trumpet he's not writing about two events he's writing about one the one that we just read about in Thessalonians is the one that he's writing about here as a matter of fact if you follow the timeline which I'm doing in Acts right now you'll see that he was writing these at the same time it's within a very short amount of time he wrote these letters to these people he had this on his mind at the time. You can tell this, and that's coming up in a uh, commentary in the next 10 days. Okay, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is not two events. This is the same event here as it was in 1 Thessalonians. We know this because we must be changed. We must be incorruptible. Incorruption cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But when we go to the Bema Seat of Christ, we will be incorruptible at that time. We will be in the kingdom awaiting our rewards and losses. Everybody see that? It has to be the same event. 
Okay, if you want to assume that this is the same event as Revelation, that means that what John is writing about when it says that the, uh, the people that did not take the mark, that means that the church has to go through tribulation. the tribulation. I do not agree with that. So it cannot be the same event. That's fine if you want to argue that. Don't send me the email. I don't want it. Okay? <laughs> You're wrong. Okay? I'm absolutely certain that 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 is Paul writing the same thing to two different bodies within the church. Okay? All right. So, clearly states that all shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the trumpet. So, there is no difference between... Those, uh, let me read the first one again so you can see it. It would mean that remaining alive until the coming of the Lord has a different value assigned to it than dying in the Lord. The people that died in the Lord are getting something that the people in the Lord that are still alive are not getting, and he says that they are both getting it. Everybody got that? Right. It's the same value. The only distinction between the dead and the living are that the dead are first raised in order to receive their glorified bodies, at which time we shall join them in that flash of a moment. They are raised incorruptible. We are raised and changed at that time. Okay? That's the only difference between the two. The dead are not dead. They are asleep. Okay? We talked about that last week. They are asleep in the Lord. Dead would mean that they're spiritually cut off from God, and they are not. Okay? The word then simply means that one event precedes the other, but they are otherwise all but simultaneous, okay? That's just how I read it. And now, if you come to a different conclusion tonight, send it to me, okay? I, I, I'm just letting you know. I, I am absolutely 100% certain that this is the same event as 1 Corinthians 15 and that it is not the resurrection at the end of the tribulation period or at the end of the millennium, okay? They, they are not the same. They're not being described differently with different value added. They're written to different people. I need you to come over here after you put that in back. Thank you. I've got something for you to do. The, 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 the thousand year reign, it's obvious that it's a different resurrection because it even says the rest of yes. the dead will not come to life. That's right. But here it says the dead will be raised. Will rise. Christ. That's so exactly that's right. It's a completely it separate there, dynamic. The first resurrection means there's many, not more than one. So, that's exactly okay. right. Okay, so you got that. I got that okay. one. There is another one in the Old Testament reference. That one I didn't read, but I, I bet if I read, I'll come to the same conclusion. Absolutely. So, Please read that and go do that. Thank you. It'll take you one minute. That's my son, Thor. Look right there. Ah, look at they see your handsome face. Okay, go do that and then bring it back here. Thank you. How many yes. mysteries did Paul... Yeah, hello. How many? Uh, I don't know specifically, but all I know is he wrote the mystery about the rapture. Right, so it would not have been known before. No, that's right, like and that's what I tell people. That people try to say that what Jesus says in Matthew 24 is speaking, no man will know the day and hour of the rapture. Okay, That is not what Jesus is speaking about. Jesus is not speaking about that. Matthew 24 has this much to do with the church. Everybody got that? If you're listening online, I'll say it again. Matthew 24 is written to the Jews under the law, anticipating the end time events where they will be under the law seven more years. Tribulation. That, the tribulation period. That's right. And how do we know that? Because Paul revealed the mystery in 1 Corinthians 15, and that was 30 years after Christ ascended. Everybody got that? It cannot be that Matthew 24 is speaking about the rapture. It is not. People that try to do that are simply trying to not look stupid because they were wrong. And instead of doing that, you just say, you know what, I was wrong. 
I was wrong. It's not the same event, and I'm not going to take that stand. You know, when I first read it, I thought, well, that must be speaking about the rapture. Well, if you think it through for 10 seconds, you realize it is not speaking about the rapture. It's a different group of people being addressed. It's a different dispensation. It's a different context. Matthew 24 has nothing. There is a guy, I won't say who he is, but he's one of the guys that uh, teaches a prophecy update every week. And he used to teach that all the time. This is speaking of the rapture. This is speaking of the rapture. And he finally realized he was wrong. And instead of doubling down and saying, I'm going to go to heck in a handbasket, he said, you know what? I've been wrong. Probably watching this update. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just being a brag. I'm just kidding. Anyway, he find, and that's what you do. When you're wrong, you say, you know, I've been wrong about this. Matthew 24 cannot be speaking about the rapture. Hats off to that guy. Okay? Anyway, here we go. Next, we are told that when the dead are raised, thank you, Thor. Give your mama a hug and a kiss. Love you. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Uh, I know that you didn't make Bible class tonight. I'm very disappointed, but be here next week. Thank you. Uh, he laughs and leaves. Love you. Okay, um, let's see here. In this instantaneous act, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. It's an instantaneous act based on 1 Corinthians 15. No doubt about it. Okay, in this instantaneous act, we will be caught up. The word is harpazo. Okay, it signifies a sudden snatching away by force. Can anybody else tell me, can anybody tell me where else a person is harpazoed in scripture? The actual word used, harpazo. It has to be. Uh, no. 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 Philip, after he talked to the Ethiopian oh, yeah, yeah, eunuch, yeah. was harpazoed over to Asatos, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he was on his way there. So he was actually taken up. And people try to say, well, you know, he, he just departed without them. You read these commentaries and they're so silly. It literally means to be grabbed away by force. So he was harpazoed, okay? Anyway, um, harpazoed signifies a sudden snatching away by force. A comparable thought is someone robbing another. They don't just grab and walk. Rather, they grab with decisiveness and they remove themselves from the scene with alacrity. This is what will occur with all believers, and it will be with all suddenness. We will be in this body, and then we won't. It's going to be that fast. Nobody's, that's why you can have a great deception. I mean, they're setting this up already, folks, okay? So you can have this great deception, and then you can say, well, uh, you know, uh, America had all these people, Africa had all these people, and they're gone. And, you know, there are all kinds of ways that you can dismiss that happening. There are all kinds. Like I said a couple weeks ago, who was it? Uh, one of my friends who said this to me. You know, with uh, AI, oh, it was uh, Mike. With AI now, you could have those people still posting on Facebook mm, right. months after they were right. gone, and nobody would know it wasn't them. Literally. You could say, you could have, within a week, you could have all of the people that are no longer posting, posting and nobody would be any wiser, okay? This is not out of, out of uh, the realm, realm, of, yeah, realm of possibility today, yeah. much less than 10 years from now, okay? So whatever, um, there are all kinds of ways that the great deception can come about. I'm gonna say this before I go on, just so you know. If you believe that you cannot be saved after the rapture of the church, because you heard the gospel and you no longer are, can be saved, because that's a real strong teaching out there. A lot of people teach that. 
You had your chance. The rapture happened. You can never be saved. That is so much malarkey that I don't even know where to start with that. If you believe that, please don't send me your email about why I'm wrong. Okay, what I'd like you to do is I give this with all, all points of bad doctrine. Go to John 3.16 and see if your theology fits into John 3.16. And what I'd like you to do is just put this in and see if it fits. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him before the rapture shall be saved. Okay, uh, shall be, uh, shall, uh, whatever, finish the sentence. It doesn't fit. Throw in King James onlyism. It doesn't fit. Throw in whatever your pet peeve is into John 3.16, and if it doesn't fit, then it's wrong. Okay, God's grace and mercy are unconditional. All right, you will have to go through the tribulation period. You will be one of the great white multitude that is going to be martyred out of the tribulation period, okay? There are people that are going to be raised that were beheaded after the tribulation period. You can be saved during the tribulation period. You're not turning, accepting Jesus now does, is not affected by a certain point in time. You will not be a part of the church that is raptured. You will go through the tribulation and you will suffer, but you can be saved, all right? If you believe differently, fine. I don't need to hear about it. I've read every book that has come out on that, and they're wrong. They're all wrong. They give bad analyses, and they take verses out of Scripture. So I, I've read the book, so don't send me the book, okay? Um, uh, sudden taking away by force, okay? Uh, we will be in this body, and then we won't. In this occurrence, both those who are dead and those who are still alive at that time will join together, here it is, in the clouds. Now, this is kind of interesting. Albert Barnes had a great... Uh, possibility on this. I don't know if I include it, and if not, I'll tell you about it. Um, there is no definite article with the word clouds, and so it says in clouds, okay? This has led some to conclude that the believers will be gathered together to resemble the clouds. In other words, such a great body that it will be as clouds, okay? The lack of the article actually seems to demand this interpretation. That was Albert Barnes who said that. I didn't give his name here, and maybe somebody else that I didn't read. In Revelation 1-7, Christ is said to come with the clouds. There the article is used. If one accepts that these are believers returning with him, then the terminology of believers being gathered as clouds would fit as well. Sure. Okay? It would also be a New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament picture where the Lord descended with a cloud at Sinai. However, the translation in the clouds is also a possibility. Either way, now I'm not going to get dogmatic about this, but I love that Albert Barnes said that because I'd never thought that way. You're going to be raised as clouds, okay? There's so many of you and you're just taken out. I have no problem with that thinking at all, zero. And without the article, it's possible. But the article isn't always used when they are thinking, you know, in the Greek, it, it kind of goes a little differently with us. So, um, Either way, there is a joining together of the people of the church to be with the Lord, either in clouds due to the gathering or in the clouds due to the location. Either way, it is a moment where the hopes and dreams of the people of God will be fully and completely realized. We will no longer live by faith, but by sight. We will have the reward which our faith was based on. Paul then went further as he describes the event to say to meet the Lord 
in the air, okay? Here the word is air, A-E-R, and it indicates the lower air, the air we breathe. Rather than meeting on solid ground, we're not meeting on solid ground, we will meet in a place which otherwise could not support physical beings. Jesus went through walls. They had the doors shut and Jesus showed up among them. Whatever he was able to do, it's gonna be like that for us. You know, somebody asked me a question recently about heaven, okay? And uh, uh, my answer was, now we are given things from anthro, uh, anthropomorphisms. We look at the world and we see things in a certain way. That is the way the Bible is written for us. An example, I've said this many times, but you'll get it. The sun also rises. When I wake up every morning and I wait, the sunrise comes onto my webcam and I watch it rise. And that's what we see. Everybody here sees the sunrise. The sun does not rise. The earth is spinning on an axis and the sun stays where it's at in relation to the rising of the sun. The earth is spinning. But because we are on this planet, God wrote it so that men would understand. So when he says the heavens above, we're thinking of the clouds and the skies and we look out into the stars and naturally we think also of the realm of heaven God's heaven being up okay and so he gives us that terminology and when we want to go worship God what do we do we go up to the mountain we want to get higher to God that is what we are thinking but that may not be the way it actually is okay that is an anthropomorphism all right is God out behind Alpha Centauri okay no it is a different place. It is other. Okay. You see what I'm saying? And so when we are suddenly gone, it doesn't mean that we have to go up and go off behind Alpha Centauri. We are changed and there is a new dimension that we are now experiencing. Okay. Whatever it is. It's like, and the way I explained this to the guy is I said, if you take the word Elohim, which is God or gods. Okay. And it can also be people. It can be spirits. All right. Elohim Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth, okay? The word Elohim, if you want to think about the, the clearest way to think about the word Elohim so you can get what is being said, because like I said, it, it uh, pertains to the prophet Samuel. When he was raised by the witch at Endor, the word Elohim is used. There's an Elohim rising, okay? Think of over there, okay? Elohim is over there. He is in a different realm, we are here. God is Elohim, he is over there. The judges of Israel are Elohim. They are over there, they judge, we are here being judged. Think of Elohim as over there. Now, it'll just clear, clarify things for you so that you can say this is a being that has a different aspect from what I have, it is over there. When you think of heaven, think of, you don't have to think of up there so much as not here in relation to the physical world. I don't know what it is. I'm not gonna to try to go any deeper than that and get into things that I have no idea about, okay? But heaven does not necessarily have to be up there. When Jesus ascended, it was so that they could understand he is now rising, just like the descender. He descended, the Jordan. All these pictures are so for our benefit, but it doesn't mean that's actually the way that it happened. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, he didn't come down from somewhere. He overshadowed her, okay? 
So I, I, I don't want to get too far off on that, and I could read you, if I can find that email, I'll read it to you, and it'll make it a lot clearer because I took time to think it through, and it just came to my mind. This but verse says rise, I understand. That's what we're going to do. We're going to rise. And it says, then we who are alive will be caught up with the Lord in the air. But what does that mean? Once again, this is being written from an anthropomorphic perspective. We are going to rise, and we're going to be changed immediately. So I don't want to get dogmatic about this, but we it will happen so fast that people are not going to perceive it, and we are going to be in that state. What's that? Oh, okay, I thought you were addressing me. Okay, um, okay. so where are we? Next, uh, Harpazo, sudden snatching away. Um, uh, both dead who are alive. This has led some, okay, yeah. Uh, Revelation, uh, he's coming down. Uh, okay, here it is. Um, it would also be a New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament picture where the Lord descended with a cloud at Sinai. Once again, he's showing that he is above, he's coming down to meet with man here. We're getting these anthropomorphisms. However, the translation in the clouds is also a possibility. All right, so um, whether it's in the clouds due to gathering or in clouds due to location, it is, I've read that, okay? Um, here the word air, I've read that also. I got way, uh, I should have kept my finger on the paper. Um, thus, it shows our new bodies will have a completely new nature, okay? We will be like Christ at the time of the resurrection. John says that explicitly. When we see him, we shall be like him. That's right. Okay. Uh, where he could suddenly appear behind closed doors. Oh, that's why I was given that example. And then I got off my thing. And who ascended to the father in front of the disciples. He did that to show that he is from above. We are from below. Okay. One can speculate all day about what these bodies will be like. But the fact that we will meet the Lord with them in the air shows that they will be completely different than what we now possess. Completely different. Anyone with acrophobia now will no longer have to worry about that. Okay? It's simply not something we need to worry about. Now, um, uh, does everybody here know what acrophobia means? Fear of heights. Acrobat. Acrophobia. Finally, Paul says, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Here, Paul doesn't tell us whether that means in heaven or on the earth. He simply makes the statement. Depending on how one perceives the events which surround this catching away, meaning the rapture, will dictate where he believes we will be. But with, without even going into that, being always with the Lord, and this is one of the things that I, I can't stand when people do this, but it does not necess necessitate that we will physically be there with him at all times. Because people then say, well, Christ is going to reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years, and so we're going to be with him. Well, if he's reigning inside of, we'll say, a palace in Jerusalem, and you've got 15 billion believers that are with the Lord, are we all in that palace together? No. See the, the fallacy of the thinking? It's not clear thinking. When it says we will always be with the Lord does not necessitate that we will physically be there with him at all times. We can, it can simply signify that we will always have access to him. Okay? Apple Vision. Apple Vision. He's all excited about these new Apple Vision goggles. He's gone bonkers over them. I, I think we need to have an Rhoda intervention time. Okay, Rhoda and I are going to be having an intervention this week. No goggles. She just said it. She's she's in. I'm telling you. Okay, a bride is always with her husband, even if she is not in the same room or even in the same country. Everybody got that? 
So when it says that we will always be with the Lord, it does not mean that we are going to be on the earth in the millennial reign of Christ. It does not mean that. We may we may be able to transport up and down like the enterprise. I don't know. I have no idea. But we cannot make the illogical conclusion that we will be in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That is not what that's saying. Is okay. the Spirit with us? Yeah, the Spirit is with us. He's always with us. Okay, so I read that again. A bride is with her husband, even if she isn't always in the same room or even the same country as he is at any given moment. This verse is often taken to unhealthy extremes, which then turn into demanding analyses of other verses in Scripture. This should not be the case. As the bride of Christ, and indeed we are his bride, see 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, because some people say the the bride of Christ is never mentioned in Scripture. Yes, it is. Okay, we will always be with the Lord. Always, even if not physically at his side at all times. We shall never be parted from him. And that is what that's saying. One item of timing which does need to be addressed is that of immediately returning to earth with the Lord after this catching away. This is held to by some, but that is to be rejected outright. Paul elsewhere speaks of believers standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, if we got to go to the judgment seat of Christ, then we are not going to be changed and then come back. But people will demand this, and that is not even close to reality. It would make no sense for Christ to return to judge the earth before he has first judged his people and then dined with them at a bridal ceremony. Right? Everybody see the logic here? As a final note, this catching away is alluded to by John. A lot of people dismiss this. They say, you know, I love the memes when somebody takes John Luke Picard from the, uh, the Enterprise and he's got his face on his hand and they put some stupid comment from the Bible. And that makes it true because they put it on a meme with him going facepalm or something. Just because you disagree does not mean that it is not correct. It means that you are incorrect. Here we go. Uh, as a final note, this catching away is is alluded to by John in Revelation 4.1, where he saw a door opened in heaven. From chapter 1 through chapter 3 of Revelation, unless you're a hyper-dispensationalist, the church is specifically addressed. From verse 4.2, the church is not mentioned even once until Revelation 19 verse 11, when Christ returns. At that time, his saints are with him. The rapture that Paul speaks of here is then logically an event which occurs prior to the tribulation period. For this and many other obvious reasons, it is illogical to point to a rapture at any other point, including a mid-tribulation rapture. The timing of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is specific. It is set. It is not going to ever change it is a pre-tribulation rapture. If you don't want to be pre-tribulation raptured out of here, we've got forms in the back of the church and you can fill it out and say, I don't want to go until mid-trip. That's fine, fill it out, all right? Uh, the timing of the rapture will continue to be explored in the beginning verses of chapter five. Further, the Old Testament gives definite types and shadows of what God would do in this rapture event. As he does with all other major events, related to redemptive history. To see the rapture-related pictures and to understand that he has already shown us uh, what lies ahead 
you can watch this video. It's a sermon by a rather handsome fellow, which clearly shows this as being the case. It is called The Rapture, Old Testament Types and Shadows. You can find it at the Superior Word YouTube channel. If you want the, uh, the written portion, I can email it to you, okay? The Rapture, Old Testament Types and Shadows. I give, I think, three examples from the Old Testament, and now with Zebulun, we have four. The Old Testament does show us types of the rapture very clearly. In the end, God has determined that his saints will be with him forever, beginning with this event known as the rapture. It will then be followed by a seven-year period of wonder in his presence and seven years of hell on earth. After that, we will return with him at the end of the tribulation period. This is what the Bible clearly and exactingly and I would say unambiguously portrays to his people. The church, which is his bride. Life application. The word is written. Study to show yourself approved and have faith that it will turn out exactly as God has revealed. Okay, 100%. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to come and talk about this wonderful event. And we pray that it'll be soon. And if it's not, we're just going to keep plugging along, hopefully being bold in our witness, telling others about Jesus. And Lord, help us to remember to fill our pockets with tracts and hand them out to people while there's time so that they can be a part of this wonderful event, which is prophesied and promised in your word. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray for those that we mentioned at the beginning of the service again. Have your hand upon them and help them, Lord, so that they too uh, are comforted in their times of affliction. We thank you, we praise you, and we exalt you. And we ask that you bless this pizza in Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we go, I want to say that uh, we have a little bit left from uh, Dave and Katie Nosland. After that, we've got money from Steve and Donna Cornish. The pizzas we get here are really expensive. I want you to know that. They're really expensive, uh, but one piece will fill you up, and they are amazing. Okay, so, um, uh, and then we got some more. Finally, a couple people said, I want to send you money for pizza, and I told them, please don't, because we uh, just, I, I've got too much. Uh, it'll be probably one or two more pizza times before uh, we uh, uh, have this, but thank those people for having sent money for the pizza. All right, let's eat. Let's thank them. Let me, yes, let's turn around, and we'll say goodbye to these folks here. Break, 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 break. Yes. Maybe we should put the camera.